This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. We've been walking through the book of 1 John. 1 John is... Uh, a letter from the Apostle John, and he's writing to believers, and he's writing to them, and he's speaking to them about what is authentic faith. We've called this whole series, it's our Fall Spiritual Growth Campaign, Authentic, Putting Your Faith to the Test. And the key verse for us, we have two key verses, but one of them was found outside of the book of John, and it's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13. Paul says, I write these things to you, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's you, that's me. We believe in Jesus Christ. We've given our lives to Christ. He says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That you may know what? You may know that you are a follower of Christ. You may know that your faith is authentic. You may know what it is that, that, that are the fruits of your faith. That you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I want you to know. I want you to understand. I want you to put your faith to the test. Last week, we looked at a few tests. We looked at three of them. The first test we looked at last week, and I'm going to pick up today off of where we left last week. The first test last week was a test of am I keeping the commands of God? Another way to say it is, do I have authentic obedience? Am I obeying? Am I walking the talk? And am I living out the word of God? The second test we saw last week was an authentic love. You see, the test is, do you really love one another? Do you have a love for each other? You may not think alike. You may not act alike. You may not look alike. You may believe differently on many, many different things. But if you're a follower of God, the Bible is very clear. We've got to have authentic love. We've got to love one another. And boy, I'm telling you right now, that is a test to believers, not only in America, but around the world, that we love one another. The third test we talked about last week was a test of your spiritual growth, your spiritual pursuit, that there's an authentic pursuit for God, that you are desiring to grow, to live for God and to walk in God's ways. Today, I'm going to pick up, in a sense, where we left off last week in 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to look at another test. In a sense, it's the fourth test. And that test is, do you hate what God hates? And there is a love that God hates. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, click over, turn over uh, to 1 John chapter uh, 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Now I said, there's a love that God hates. Psalms 97 verse 10, you're clicking over to 1 John chapter 2. But in Psalms 97 uh, verse 10, it says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. For 
He guards the lives of his faithful ones and he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Can I hear an amen? As believers, God says, if you will hate evil, if you'll hate what I hate, my hand will guard you and protect you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse nine, it says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling, hold on to what is good. There is a love that God hates and we find it in our next passage of scripture here in 1 John chapter two. It's the fourth test of this chapter that John is talking about. And in verse 15, I'm going to begin. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A love that God hates is a love for the world, for everything in the world. The cravings of sinful man, the lusts of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Today, I wanna talk to you a simple word, a word that honestly, I, uh, I talk about a lot because I see it as one of the biggest challenges that we have in our faith as believers and followers of Christ. And that is a love for this world is a love that God hates. If you're gonna be an authentic Christian, here, John, the Apostle John is speaking to you and I, and he's saying there's some things that you've got to understand that is a test of your faith, is a test of are you authentic, is your faith one that has been tested and proven, and that's what I'm believing that you're going to embrace today. There's four reasons why the Bible shows us Christ followers should not love this world. The first, write it down if you're taking notes, and I hope you've turned to our app and you've downloaded our notes. If if you're taking notes with me today, write it down. What is that that God hates and why should we hate the things of this world is because of what the world is. Write it down, what the world is. Now, Pastor Tom, what do you mean what the world is? Well, to start here, I've got to help you to understand what is it talking about? Let's have a definition of the world so that we can begin to build this case of what is a love that God hates and therefore how do we live according to the will of God? Why should we not why should we not love the world is because of what the world is. A definition of this is first of all, he's not talking about, the apostle uh, John is, he's not talking about the beauty of this world that we live in, the physical world. Now, my, my wife and I, Pastor Candy and I have had the joy of, of living and traveling in ministry around the world. It's been one of the, the joys. In fact, uh, one of the things that Candy and I, even though I don't always like the preparation and the trip itself, I love traveling to different places around the world to actually do ministry and to see the beauty of God's creation. I mean, when we first got married, we, we uh, moved as young missionaries 
missionaries over to Europe. And man, there's a lot of beauty in Europe. I can remember, in fact, I think I got some pictures of it, you know, uh, going up into the Alps of Austria. And, and, and behind me, you can see the Alps. My, uh, my boys and I used to snowboard and uh, we would go skiing and I would get on top of one of these mountains before I would be able to, before we begin to go down the mountain and I'd be sitting there and I'd be putting on my, my snowboard and just, man, looking over the Alps and the, and the snow that was over that. In fact, a lot of times you couldn't even see the greenery of what you see behind me because snow would be covering it and I would see mountain range after mountain range after mountain range and just say, wow, the beauty of God. Last year, Pastor Kenny and I had an opportunity to to take a, uh, take a vacation and we toured a lot of the countries of Northern Europe. Copenhagen and Sweden and St. Petersburg, Russia, and a little country which was beautiful was a country of Estonia. Look where it's at. And, and uh, Amsterdam and, and, and Belgium and Germany. I mean, a lot of these nations we had a chance to, to go to. And I'm telling you, there was so much beauty that was there. I couldn't imagine. Uh, and I didn't even realize how beautiful it was. And then here, down in the Caribbean, I mean, to, to go into nations like Cayman Islands, Islands and to go, and we have a lot from the Caymans that are watching us right now, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. The Caymans is a beautiful country. Jamaica, I mean, the, the, here, you know, to, to see the beauty of Jamaica and the beaches of Jamaica. In fact, Pastor Candy and I, on our honeymoon, our honeymoon was a cruise, the very first cruise we ever took, and the very first stop was Jamaica. It was the very first stop, and uh, we went to the waterfalls. I still got pictures of it, and uh, we were a lot younger, a lot thinner, and uh, it was, uh, uh, but it was a beautiful, beautiful, just just place to be and the beauty of that, the Turks and Caicos and, and, and Cuba as I've traveled around Cuba. I mean, beautiful, beautiful places. But he's not talking about this earth that we live on, the beauty of this earth. And I could go on and on about many of your countries because I've been there, but he's not talking about the beauty of the earth that we live on. Neither is he talking about mankind you and me as mankind, like the Bible would reference God so loved the world. He's not talking about mankind here. No, what he's talking about here, the world is the values of this world. There's a system, there's a spiritual, an invisible spiritual system in this world that is evil and it's opposing Christ and God and all that God stands for. That's what John is referring to here, the values, the systems of this world. Another way to say it is the beliefs of this world. You know, there is that which is opposed to God. Doesn't matter what political party you may be in, doesn't matter what nationality you're in, which country you've been raised in, there is a value system that is promoted. And in fact, the Bible calls the prince of the air, Satan himself, is the one that is the God of this world and is opposed to the work of Christ, is opposed to the, to the, to the mission of Christ and to the plan of Christ. And therefore, what you and I as believers have been called to do here in this world. And one thing I'm praying for more than ever for our church, Christian Life Center, and for believers, 
is that we would recognize that there is a value system, a belief system, an invisible system in this world that's man-made and it's something that opposes, opposes the work of God and that you and I will find our unity We'll find our strength. We'll find uh, uh, that which energizes us in the mission of God to be that we're not citizens of this world, but we have a citizenship that goes beyond this world. It's the citizenship that we have in the kingdom of God. And therefore the values of the kingdom of God must become our values. And we've got to hold on to those. We got to live our life by those things. And they oppose the work of Christ. And therefore, as we come to this, we begin to understand what he is talking about in the world. Look again with me in in verse 16 here in verse 16, he says, for everything in the world. What's he talking about? Not creation, not mankind, but the value systems, the belief systems in the world, the cravings of the sinful man and the lust of the eyes and the boasting uh, and the boasting of what one has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Let me read to you another scripture in 1 John later. In the book of 1 John, we'll get to this chapter in about two or three weeks. But in 1 John chapter 5, and in fact, let me back up first of all to uh, 1 John chapter 2, where we're at in, in verse 16 when I read, the cravings of the sinful man leads us then over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, where John says, now he's at the end of the book, so I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a couple chapters, but look here, look on the screen with me. He says, we know, again, what you know is important. What you believe is important. And I'm so proud of you because you're journeying through this spiritual growth campaign. You're digging in, you're growing and pushing yourself. And it's vital what you know, what you believe, what you apply is vital to your life. We know, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now at the end of the book, John is gonna show all of these tests that'll help you know if your faith is authentic. If your faith is growing, you're putting your faith to the test. And at the very end, we're making the corrections we need to make. We're seeing God, this is some areas that I've got to grow. This is some things I got to get rid of. And at the very end, John says again, we know that we are children of God. Why? Because we pass the test. Why? Because we see that there's a fruit to our faith. It's authentic, it's growing. And he says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I said earlier, you know, the, the, the Bible, in fact, Jesus himself said that Satan was the prince of this world, that, that, that he is the God of this world. Paul talks about the God of this world that has blinded, like, 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 like people are, are behind the veil and they can't see the will of God, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. And Paul prays that that veil will be lifted up What you and I are praying for is that people will see him, that people will come to know him, that the veil will be lifted and their eyes will be open to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Can I hear an amen? Can you type it in the box right now? That's our call. 
is that God, that veil will be lifted and that we are the messengers of hope, that as we share your message with them, they'll hear, they'll understand, their eyes will be open and they will receive it. They will know, we will know that we are children of God. The enemy of your soul though, this is the reality. The enemy of your soul has a strategy there's a, there's a, there's a orchestrated plan with his, his evil uh, spirits and, and, and the demonic spirits, an organized plan to try to deceive you and I, to try to get us to, to get detoured and, and it's waging a war, the enemy of your soul, man, he's waging a war. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter six. The enemy of your soul is waging a war, raging a war that will bind you, deceive you, darken you. And that's why John here, the apostle John is saying, listen, listen church, listen believers, open your eyes and see what the enemy is trying to do. And there is a value system, this world that wants to control you. Makes me think of a biblical story, a, a biblical illustration of this really. Paul, Apostle Paul, was writing to a, a young preacher. It was a convert. It was one that he had mentored and was still mentoring and overseeing. And that was young Timothy. And, and, and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he, he has a letter. And it's at the end of the letter, letter of, of, of first, uh, 2 Timothy. And he says to Timothy a, a statement, Demas has forsaken me. And when he says that, he says, Demas forsook me. Why did Demas forsake me? Why did De Demas leave? Now think about this. This is Apostle Paul. He's written about two-thirds of our New Testament. He planted churches. I mean, you talk about someone that was used by God. Things that young preachers are preaching about and dreaming about and praying for is a revival of church planting like the Apostle Paul. And here is Demas with him. And he leaves the Apostle Paul. He leaves him. Why? And Paul says it's because he had a love for this world. The apostle Paul said, listen, Timothy, guard your heart. Be careful. Demas has left. The world system, the system of this world, it's sin, it's human wisdoms, it's satanic deceptions, the, the love that doesn't come from above but from this world, a love for the things of this world. And it was that which attracted Demas. It was a, a magnet. Now, for those of us that have served God for any length of time, we've seen, we've seen those that are pressed into God, they're pursuing God, and then something entices them. Something in this world gets their attraction and they get off and it says that he, he left, Demas left, he, he, he forsook his co-workers. In fact, he goes on to the city of Thessalonica. Now in Thessalonica, it would have been the big city. It would have offered, you know, all of the, the material things, the, the, the things that would have attracted him in morality and the pleasures of life. It would have been that which attracted him. And Demas left for that. Why is the apostle John, why is he in 1 John saying to you and I, there is a love that God hates because it's what this world is. It's what this world stands for that we've got to understand that if we put our love into that, it will lead us to a place that we can be detoured in our life. Jesus gave an example of, of the life, kind of like seeds that are being sown in soil. He gives four different types of soil where the seed, the word of God, the plan of God, the will of God gets planted. 
four different types of soil. And he says there's the rocky soil. There's the shallow soil. And he likens it to the one, the individual that, that falls in rocky or shallow soil is like one that is, that is giving in under persecution or tribulation or the one that is attracted by the cares of this world. And he says the deceitfulness of wealth and riches. You see the world, what it stands for is the very thing that God hates. He calls you and I to recognize it, to be on guard. In fact, James James is really hard. James in the book of James, the brother of Jesus, James 4, 4, James says, in fact, I want to read it to you. James 4, 4, he says, I mean, he likens it to spiritual adultery. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know? Now here it is. Look here. Look on the screen. Look at this. Don't you know that friendship with the world He's not talking about mankind. He's not talking about the love of the Alps or Jamaica or or Africa. He's not talking about the physical beauty. He's talking about the values of this world, the systems of this world, the ways of this world. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses, see the reality is it's our choice. If we will be honest, if we will be broken and, 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 and humble before the Lord, if we will come before God with a heart that's rendered to God, he says it's our choice. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. If I embrace the values of this world, if I take a hold of it, if I pursue it, I desire it, then the reality is I'm becoming a friend of this world. So a love that God hates. The second principle that I want to give to you is why should Christ followers not love the world is because of what the world does to us. Not just what the world represents, but what it does to you and I, the influence that it has on us. Man, I've been pastoring for a long time, for a long time, and I can tell you this point right here is what breaks my heart the most. Let me read to you one more time, verse 15. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 16 again. For everything in the world, everything in the world, everything in the values and and the beliefs of this world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of life of what one has and does comes not from the Father, but from this world. What does God hate? I'll tell you what God hates is God hates a divided heart. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here, and I hope that you catch this right now, what he's talking about right now is that there is a battle for your heart. See, the battle is always, who are you going to love? Who are we going to worship? Who are we going to yield our worship to? Who's going to sit on the throne of our heart? Am I going to sit on the throne? Is the enemy going to take control of my life? Or is God going to sit on the throne of my heart? It's always a battle for the heart. See, the values of this world causes us to have a divided heart. You got to remember that John is writing to the church. 
So it'd be like he's writing to you and I, to believers, Christ followers. And it's a challenge that he's saying is you gotta be careful because the things of this world They are attractive. The things of this world are like a magnet. They will pull you. The pleasures, the attractions, these things will will pull you. But the core is always a core of our heart. Who is going to be the Lord of our lives? The, The desires, the battle, it's always for the heart. When we love the things of this world, he says we cannot truly love the Father. When we're loving the things of this world, when we're giving our heart to the, to the things of this world, the desires and, and, and that which is drawing us, when it's to the things of this world, he says that begins to show where your values really are. In fact, the scripture says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's what we talked about last week. Test number one was a test of are you keeping his commands? Are you walking in obedience to his commands? Now today, it's a test of who really has your heart? What is that? What do you mean my heart? Well, who has your affections? Who is it that, that, that you're really desiring to, to please? Well, I don't want to please the enemy. I, I, I'm not giving my life to Satan. No, 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 no. That's not it. You see, if we're not really living towards the values of the kingdom of God, then by the essence of how we live shows where our heart really is. When we love the things of this world, we can't truly love the Father because it affects your response. It it affects how you see God and, and how you're living for God. And now he lists three traps or if it will, three devices that trap Christians. I mean, it's kind of like this little image right here. I don't know if you can really see it all because it's kind of blown out, but here's the mouse and, and the mouse has a piece of cheese and all the way around him, you can't see the top part of it, but are traps with cheese. You see, that's exactly what's happening. When we love the things of this world, there's like traps that are around us And more, the apostle John breaks it down to three areas. Now, if you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, this is not new, if it would be content or new thoughts. It's just a reminder that these are traps and these traps are devices that the enemy uses. The first that the apostle Paul talks about is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The second, I was pointing to my eye, but that's really the second is the lust of the eyes. But the first is the lust of the flesh. Now, the flesh has to do with our feelings. It has to do with touching and tasting and smelling and hearing and seeing. It's the seed of our desires, our urges. It's, it's the flesh, right? It's, it's the, the, the everything with our senses, the, the cravings and the desires of man. That really fits right here in the cravings or the lust of the flesh. It's not limited. It's not limited. Often this is the way we think of it. It's not limited just to sexual uh, sins or, uh, or sins of immorality, but it goes, it includes that, but it really goes beyond that. It's the desires. It's the urges, urges and desires that break God's Break God's commands. It's, it's that which God forbids for you and I and our flesh, our desires, our urges, our cravings get us desiring. And maybe another word to put here is lusting for more and more. We want more and more. Now, this is a true sign 
of spiritual maturity. Listen, listen to me right now. This is a sign of spiritual maturity in your life. It has nothing to do with your age, but it's spiritual maturity. And the sign is that in spiritual maturity, you learn, you learn, write it down, you learn to control your desires. See, desires aren't wrong. Desires have been created within us. God has given us uh, desires and it's how we, how we act upon those desires that become right or wrong. When is it a sin? When is our urges and desires and cravings a sin is when the flesh is desiring something that is directly forbidden by God. For example, let me give you an example here. You know, God has given to, to all of us, mankind, the, the, the urges for sexuality and our sexuality. And our sexuality is a gift from God. Now, in the confines of how God has given it to you and I, it is something that's beautiful and it's holy. What are those confines? It's when a man and a woman that, that have come together in marriage and in the covenant of marriage and the bond of marriage, God has given a beautiful gift and it's the gift of their sexuality in that it's a, a, a gift for their pleasure and it's a gift for the procreation of, of the world, of how God has chosen to, to create and, and allow us to go from generation to generation. That is something that's beautiful and it's given. It's given to you and I as a gift. But when it's distorted and when it's something that's abused and, and when it's something that is used in, in a forbidden way, an immorality or, or, or homosexuality or, or adultery, when we, we begin to use these urges outside of these boundaries of what God has given to us, we're now breaking a, 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 a law or a command or a gift that God's given to us. We're breaking it because it's not something God has given to us to be used in that way and God has forbidden for us to use it in that way and that becomes a sin in our life. No, it's a gift that God's given, but used in the wrong way. Those urges and those desires become a sin in our life. And so we've got to understand that this is something that pulls us. Now, I don't have time to look at it, but maybe in your devotion this week, you can read Galatians chapter five and verse 19 and 20 and, and those verses because you'll start listing the sins of the flesh. What are these sins of the flesh? Now, let me tell you, there's a long list, so don't click off as you start, to, but walk through it and evaluate your life and ask the Lord if you're giving in. Now, some of them are so big, you would, there's no, you know, you, you probably don't have any temptation there or any desire whatsoever, but then there might be some others. That might not be somebody else's problem, but might be your challenge. And there might be others that are not your challenge, but then there are, that are some of your challenge. All of us wrestle with the flesh. And we've got to learn, it's a sign of spiritual maturity to control our flesh, our desires, our cravings, so that we walk within the confines of what God has given to you and I. The second that he talks about is the lust of the eyes. The eyes are the gateway to the mind. It's through the eyes that we begin to think. It's through the eyes that we begin to lust. And therefore, we find ourselves committing the sin. It's through the eyes. And, and here, he's talking about the, the eyes, the lust of the eyes. It has to do with seeing and, and wanting and therefore beginning to lust for and desire what we see. And it's, it's something that is then maybe, if it is,
it is directly forbidden by God, again, that's where it turns to lust and is sin in our lives. It could be a lust, as I already talked about, uh, a lust of the eyes for sexuality or for evil or for many different areas. Galatians 5.19, again, begins to list these things, but it comes through the eyes. And therefore, we got to learn to bounce our eyes. We got to learn to guard what we look at. I just want to encourage you as a Christ follower, Man, what you see does impact your spirituality. Men, hear me today. Learn to bounce your eyes. When you look at something that's creating a a lustful desire for something that God forbids, you learn to bounce your eyes. You guard what you watch. Man, don't just pipe it into your home or through the internet. Find ways to guard your heart because what you see begins to impact your heart. And remember the battle is for what? For your heart, that's right. The battle is for your heart and the gateway to your heart is your eyes. The third trap that he talks about that we as believers have got to be aware of and this is what the world is doing for us and this is why God hates it is it comes through the boasting of life, the pride of life, the boastful proud uh, pride of life. So many ways that the different translations talk about it. And the core of this, it's a self-centeredness. At the core of this, it's a self-promoting spirit. At the core of this, it's a person that wants focus and attention to be placed onto themselves, where people will notice them. Now, these days, we gotta be careful because it's so easy to get caught into this area right here through social media, that what we post, the way we look, what we try to do, it's so that people will like us, it's putting forth this image, it's putting forth something that becomes a prideful thought. We gotta be careful, we gotta guard our heart. You see, what are sins of pride? Sins of pride is this, this idea again that you're self-seeking promotion, you're self-promoting, you're, you're, you're putting upon yourself these thoughts that you want others to think about you. So your dress, your look, how, uh, you know, uh, your wealth, your pursuits, your honor, uh, uh, recognition, all of these things that will fit into this category. So here, when we're looking, I got to move on, but he's saying these are traps. These are warnings to you and I that we've got to learn to guard. You know, we've, we, can be, we can become self-sufficient. That's a pride. That's, that's a prideful thought. We can think we're better than everybody else. We can have a, 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 mental, uh, a, a mental thought that we already think our way's the right way. Our way's the only way. In fact, for me as a young missionary, this was probably the thing that God broke the easiest in my life, or it probably wasn't easy, but it was the number one thing God was breaking in my life as a young missionary to go to another country and begin to realize as I was learning the language, I was living with a different people group than I had grown up around, where now, you know, everything that I had depended on before is stripped away from me. All of a sudden, you begin to realize you're not everything, you know? And, and, and it's so easy to think our way's the right way, our way's the only way, our way's the best way, our, our beliefs, our systems, what we do, how we do it. And man, for me, moving into another country began to just take that away. And it brought me to a, it brought me to a place of humility, really, of realizing all of us are created in the image of God. 
All of us are created equal. And yes, there are strengths and and weaknesses, so to speak, in all of us. We've got areas of growth in all of us. And my way of thinking is not the only way. And your way of thinking is not the only way. And therefore, we come together as the body of Christ to say, God, we want your way. We We want to know what you, what you, God, are saying to us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful journey that God can take take you on as you begin to understand this scripture. Well, because of time, let me share with you the third trap or the, if it would be the third uh, 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 aspect of what God says Christ's followers should not love the world is because of what you and I are as believers, because of what a Christian is. You see, in 1 John Chapter two, I didn't read it, but up into verse 12, Pastor Kevin and uh, the other campus pastors left off here last week. Verse 12 says this, I want you, dear children, I I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. What he's saying is, I want you to know Who you are as a Christian is that you are forgiven. That your sins, your sins are removed. That your life is forgiven because of what he has done for you on account of his name. You see, one day we're gonna stand before the Father, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The reality is your sins, when you confess them, when you repent of them. Now remember, confession and repentance, we talked about a couple weeks ago, means that you're turning away from the sin and you're turning to the Father. It's a sign, it's a test of your faith is do you truly believe that Jesus Christ forgives you, that he came to wash away your sins and that, he, that, that through him is the only way that you can have peace with the Father? If you believe that, you repent of the sin, you turn from it and you turn to God. And we all, he says, are his children, which is a sign of intimacy, that that we are his children. We can have a relationship with the Father. If we abide in him, we remain in him, we're in him, we can have the assurance that we are his children. And that's a moment for you just to say amen, put it in the chat box, like it, because it's a, it's a, it's a moment where together we can say, yes, Lord, that's what it means to be a Christian and a follower is that I am forgiven. Let me read another verse to you down in verse 24. 24 of 1 John chapter 2, a little bit further down from our key verse today, it says this in verse 24, see that you, see that, I'm sorry, see that what you have heard from the beginning, oh, I like this, underline it, remains in you. What you received from the beginning, what was that? that you're forgiven, that you're a child of God, that, that, that you now won't stand before the Father in your guilt, shame, and condemnation, but you'll stand there in the righteousness of Christ. That is what you heard from the beginning. That's the message, he says, that you receive. And therefore, I want you to remain in that. If you do, if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised to us, 
eternal life. Can I hear an amen? Eternal life. We talked about a few weeks ago that your eyes are on eternity, that your eyes are fixed and focused on not this life. This life is going to pass away but you're focused on what's gonna come after this life, eternal life, being with God the Father for all of eternity. Look at verse 26, I'm writing these things to you. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The values of this world, those that are in this world. But as for you, the anointing you receive from him now remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Why? Because now you've got this in you and those that are leading you away, he says, they're leading you away because there was false teachers in the church. They're leading you away. He's talking to the church here because you're believing their false teachings. He says, no, 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 understand that there is something in you. And as for you, there's an anointing that you receive from him. Remain in that. And do not let anyone teach you that which would be contrary that would lead you away. But as his anointing teaches us about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now he puts this focus here on remaining in him. This word of remaining, I I, I likened it a few weeks ago to the word abiding, abiding in Christ, abiding in the gospel. And the gospel is abiding in me. I'm abiding in Christ. He's the gospel. And the word of God is abiding in me. And when that happens, then I will know I will know it's a test of my faith. It's a test that I am authentically passing the test. I'm abiding in him and his word is abiding in me. I'm remaining in him. And as I remain in him, man, it's, it's like a paradox of, 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 of statements that he's saying. But when you do, there is the assurance that you will have eternal life. Now, one of the things that I'm really, I'm really wanting to encourage you about today is I want to encourage you to grow your faith. I want you to grow who you are. I want you to become strong in the Lord. See, the reality is we're in a time and an age that you've got to know what you believe, why you believe it. You've got to defend it. And you've got to be able to look into the word of God, not just what everybody else is saying, but you're abiding in the vine. The gospel is in you and you are are receiving that gospel message and it's strengthening your faith. We've put together, in fact, Pastor Candy and I, when we came to Christian Life Center uh, over nine years ago now, when we came, it became one of the mandates of our church. And that was to make disciples who know how to make disciples disciples. It was a mandate to help you learn how to walk in your, he talks about your anointing. One of the greatest desires for my life. And it's been one of the strengths of our church here at Christian Life Center for years and years and years is to help you discover your anointing, to help you grow that anointing and to walk in your anointing. We have what we call, and we put this together. It's a journey. We call it a transformational journey We've put together what we call the School of Discipleship. The School of Discipleship will help you become what God wants you to be. It'll help you learn how to do what God calls you to do and walk in your anointing. And it'll teach you how to make disciples. A number of years ago, 
I was in, mission, I was in a, a missions, I was a missionary pastor, but as I was traveling around America in different churches, the thing that I realized is many Christ followers sitting in churches did not know how to make a disciple. And the Lord began to put it on my heart that the great commandment and the great commission is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we were teaching people to do that, but then the great commission was to go and make disciples. And the reality is we were not doing a good job on training Christ followers on how to make a disciple. Well, in School of Discipleship, it's a journey that if you'll join us on that journey, it'll help you discover your anointing and it'll help you learn how to make disciples. Now, why do I talk about it? It's because it comes out of this scripture today, but also because this week we're going to be starting a brand new School of Discipleship. It's gonna be virtual wherever you're at. We've had people in other states, even in another country that's going to be joining it. Wherever you're at, it's open to you. We used to have a prerequisite of the encounter. We've removed that through this COVID season. So you can join right there on the screen. You can see how you can sign up. I wanna encourage you. In fact, I'm praying today. The number one desire for me today is to help many of you Step in, step into your anointing and begin to see what God will do. I guarantee you it's a transformational journey. So all you have to do is sign up, sign up today. It's starting this week and I guarantee you it will impact your life. Well, the last and final thought that I wanna share with you and Chris, I'm gonna just ask you just to begin to play in the background for me is Christ followers should not love the world, fourthly, because of where the world is going. Look again at verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Underline that, lives forever forever. The world and its desires, the systems of this world is passing the way away. This world is not permanent. We're just passing through. Boy, all of the pleasures of this life, all of the attractiveness of this life, the reality is it will be gone. All of the things that we build up in this world, one day is going to be gone. It's not going with us. The reality is this world and the pleasures of this world and the things of this world are passing away, but that which will remain is the will of God, the plan of God, and the purpose of God. Can I hear an amen today? That is what will last for all of eternity. You see there, is a moment that we will pass from this life into the next life. And therefore, we've got to loosely, loosely hold on to, loosely be a, a, attached to or attracted to the things of this world. Whatever it is that you have, the things of this world will not go with you and therefore loosely hold on to these things. The greatest thing that you and I can do is to do the will of God. And one of the greatest passions from my heart to you, in fact, it's a call of my life, it's a call of our church, is to help you do the will of God. In fact, School of Discipleship, I mentioned a moment ago, will help you to do that. It'll help you learn to discover God's will and learn how to begin to walk in the will of God. Pastor, how do I do 
the will of God? It's a question I, I get all the time. How, how do I do the will of God? Well, I don't have time to preach a whole sermon or, or point about it, but let me say, first of all, God reveals his will to you through his word as you abide in the word. So an action step every week, we've been challenging you, abide in the word. I was talking to someone today and, and I said, you know, you know what would be the greatest thing for your spiritual life? Is that you make a plan that you're gonna read all through the Bible. Don't just pick and choose. Don't just turn here or there. Don't just flip it and, and turn to whatever feels good. And devotional books are great, but you can't replace systematically reading through God's word, abiding in the word. As you abide in the word of God, you will come to know the will of God. You'll come to understand culturally, there'll be discernment in your life. How do you know the will of God? You learn to abide in his word. A second thing is God will use circumstances of life. He'll use things in your life to show you his will. In our greatest moments of pain, many times God is there whispering. He's there speaking. He's there revealing. He's shaping you and he's moving you and he's changing you and he's forming you. Learn to look to God in the circumstances of life and learn to say, God, help me to see your will and your plan. Another way of hearing and knowing the will of God is learning to listen to, to the Holy Spirit in your times of prayer. You learn to be sensitive to the, to the work of the Spirit in your life. And when you do, the Holy Spirit will begin guiding. He'll begin teaching. He'll begin revealing. It's an inner voice in your spirit. It's a nudging in your soul that'll help you to walk in the will of God. And lastly, let me say that Many times God's will is a progressive revelation in my life. I begin to follow and as I follow, God begins to direct. He shows me a path through his word. He shows me a path through godly people, through counsel of godly people. But as I begin to walk, he begins to illuminate it brighter and brighter and brighter. See, as you follow God, as you learn to walk with God, as you grow your faith, God will progressively be showing you his will, his purpose. For some of you, you can't handle right now what God has for you. You can't handle everything God wants to do for you. There's so much that progressively gets revealed as you learn to follow. Today, as we come to the end of this message, I just want you to hold on that there is a love that God hates. And that love is a love of this world. And I pray today that it'll challenge you. I pray today that you'll say, God, my greatest desire is to do your will. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.